Striking while the iron's hot to be your authoritative voice for New Mexico soccer. Welcome to We Are Seek and Strike podcast. Sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Brought to you by Beautiful Game Network. Find us on the web at seekandstrikecollective.com. Welcome to another edition of We Are Seek and Strike podcast. Kind of a different edition coming to you tonight. It's our 2021 uh, Mountain Division preview. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Walker. Um, and tonight, my special guests each come respectively of the clubs that they're covering in the Mountain Division. Um, so, you know, without further ado, I want to go ahead and bring on my first guest, is going to be Mr. Landon Southwick. How you doing, Landon? Good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, I feel honored to be the first. I guess it's only fitting, though, if we have a reigning USL championship champion. You know, I, you know, whether it was 2019, since there was no 2020 winner, I guess we have to go first at this point, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and how, how did that work out as far as like an open cup berth you know i was kind of hoping that you guys were gonna <laughs> unfortunately we'll never qualify for that being an mls2 side but hey we can still dream about it yeah you guys might have to like ask for the affiliation to be dropped yeah i don't know that one might hurt us a little bit on that side yeah so uh you know like i said welcome on the show um you know you're kicking off our mountain division preview and you know obviously you cover uh, Real Monarchs for a Center Circle podcast. And uh, so my first question really for you is, uh, you know, this is kind of a different preseason for uh, Monarchs this year. Um, you know, there were, we only saw like two games uh, for the squad, and obviously both uh, they didn't get the result. You know, I know part of that had to do with the team being up with the first team. But, I mean, yeah. you know, what – What's kind of is going up uh, going on there with like the roster shakedown? Like what's happening since the end of preseason? Man, there's been a lot. I mean, I think the the first topic of conversation touching on that or giving the best example of that is from last year to this year, there was only three players retained. Uh, so James Moberg, Jimmy Slayton, and uh, I spunked on the third. It's funny that I'm saying that now. Um, it'll come to me. Oh, and Sam Brown. And uh, those three – the two of them, Sam Brown and Jimmy Slayton, both had contracts. James Moberg was the only one re-signed. So when you're talking about a, a change to a new year, that's crazy. 2020 was not a great year for the Monarchs, though. So I don't think the technical staff um, and the front office saw what they needed to from the guys that were there and, and frankly, kind of wanted to wipe the slate clean. Um, talk about tossing a departure of Dan Egner, who really engineered uh, from the general manager side the squad in 2019 and 2018 and 2017 with the likes of Mark Briggs and Hamas Alave engineering that side that made that run, um, especially in 2019. And I think what you're seeing from this front office is they want to mold the team that they want to see. Um, and, and obviously there's twofold uh, goals for the Monarchs. They want to win games, but they also want to develop talents. 
And I think that's a, a balance that a lot of MLS two sides struggle to make. And I think the Monarchs of times have struggled to make that. You go back to their inaugural season in 2016, both those seasons were kind of disasters. They weren't, they were not a good team, did not have good results. And it was because they had a lot of youth on the, on the, on the roster and they really didn't, uh, have much experience to kind of play in well fast forward to 19 where you had a mix of veterans and those young players those hopefully future rsl players as a lot of people would put it and they saw success but now what you saw is all those successful players with the monarchs have now kind of made their way up to the first team or made their way to other clubs like a jack blade kaylin Ryden, you know some of those and, and we still love them and and wish they were around and wish they got a shot but uh it's kind of changed that new guard. And one of the things that you'll see this season from this Monarch side, I think, is a lot of guys coming down from Real Salt Lake. Obviously, there's still quarantine rules and the USL Championship and MLS are going to have to broker some of that. And I'm sure there will be some flexibility in some of that. But 2020, we saw none of that. And, you know, the Monarchs lost more games at home last year than they lost in two seasons combined, in the two previous seasons combined. Um, and, and I think what you'll see from this Monarch side this year is something a little different. I think you'll see some of this youth and this development, but I also think you're going to see a hunger from some of these guys that have signed contracts with Real Salt Lake that are going to be down with the Monarchs. That's why that roster isn't full yet. And, and I think on top of that, you add in some of this young international talent that is maybe a little unproven to try to prove themselves. You've got guys like... Josmir uh, Quintanero, who, who who grew up in the Barcelona Academy, Barcelona and Chelsea Academy. I mean, you can't tell me that someone doesn't have something if they grew up in one of those academies, you know? So I think the hope from, from the front office is that you mix some of these guys that are trying to prove themselves with guys that are training with Real Salt Lake, then coming down to get minutes. And I think they hope that there's going to be a good, solid squad. And I, I seem to hope, think that the results you've seen so far – are not going to be the results you're going to see this season from the Monarchs. Yes, they played two games. They played the Whitecaps and lost. Okay, they played a bunch of academy players. Then they played Sacramento. And what we've seen from that is Sacramento beat them. But the, the truth is, from what I understand from a lot of guys so far that I've talked to, not everybody was there. You know, you've still got visa issues of getting a few guys. You've still got a couple guys reco recovering from injury, including James Moberg, who hasn't trained with the side yet um, or hasn't been in full training yet. But as you get some of these guys mixed in, I think that's where you're going to start to see some of the success. And I think you'll see maybe a slower start from this Monarch side, but I think they'll not be the team that's going to be sitting at the bottom of the table like they were last season. So, okay. I mean, you, you kind of were talking a little bit about that. Like, you know, who are some of the the standout signings? I mean, I know that Eris, Eris Briggs is – one that they yeah. were kind of pointing out, you know, being a uh, MLS super draft selection. Um, who, who are some of the other ones along with him? And and what, what can we kind of see from these players? Yeah, I think there's quite a few guys that are going to be pretty impressive. I mean, I think first and foremost, you have to look at the, the goalkeeper scenario for the organization. You've got a guy in um, – in the first team, Andrew Putna, who had played with the Monarchs at one point. And you've got David Ochoa, who has obviously showed already and caused a lot of controversy in MLS last week by putting a ball into the field. And if you watch enough USL, you know that's kind of his style. He taunted quite a few uh, fans against uh, in the El Paso game as well as uh, in the championship game. And it's, it's, it's interesting because 
I think that goalkeeper room has really replenished. And you can look at guys like Jeff Doosnap, who signed with Real Salt Lake, but will definitely be playing with the Monarchs. He's 16 years old. I would say keep an eye on him. I'm very fascinated, very high on him. There's also a guy named uh, uh, Gavin Beavers, and Beavers is 15 years old. So two of their keepers are 15 and 16 years old. Then you've got Jimmy Slayton, who's kind of the veteran in the room at 22 in his second professional season. So I think that's a spot to keep an eye on. I'm really high on Malik Johnson. Um, he's a guy that we've seen in the USL Championship, have some success, Canadian international um, with uh, Tampa Bay, um, showed some spark, showed some skill. I think he's one to keep an eye on. Then you've got some unproven talents in guys like Max Mata, who's uh, a New Zealand youth international. He's got some skill, and I think you're going to be surprised to see what he brings to the table. Um, there's guys like Kyle Adams, who I think is an interesting signing. Obviously, we've seen him in, in this group as well um, with uh, Rio Grande Valley, um, and I think he's going to be an interesting addition to that squad. And so far, having seen him on the field, he looks solid. Uh, but there's, I could go down a list of guys. I mean, I think those are a few of the names that I would point out. Uh, maybe a Juan Vidal, um, who's going to be an interesting kid out of Colombia. Uh, that has some experience in scoring some goals. Um, he played in a, a U-17 World Cup. And so there's some guys like that that I'm really intrigued to see what they can bring to the table. And I really think, and I'm not privy to these conversations, but I'm thinking they've had conversations with the front office saying, you know, here's your shot. Go prove it with the Monarchs so we can give you a contract with Real Salt Lake. Well, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, just with, you know, we were talking offline, me and Harry, before this, and – uh you know, he was kind of, you know, tossing out the question about, you know, whether or not it was a good thing with rosters, you know, average ages being being younger versus older, you know, and, and yeah, you're kind of touching on that. I mean, you know, towards the end of last season, we saw a lot of the academy um, kids, you know, in on the matches, you know, with, yep. with the likes of New Mexico United and El Paso Locomotive, um, you know, so I guess really my one of my, my questions for you, too, is like, you know, where do you see uh, real monarchs, you know, competing in this mountain division. Like, what what do you think that the the product on the pitch is going to be um, through some time? And obviously, this year a little bit longer of a season than last year. Yeah, I, you know, it's 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 funny. I, looking at five thirty eights prediction, looking at the USL champions pr prediction um, for this squad, everybody is kind of low on the monarchs. And one thing I would say is. I don't think you can sleep on a team like this that has continued to try to invest in this club. I don't think they're going to be a Tacoma defiance. I don't think they're going to be the side that's going to go, okay, we're going all Academy go for broke. We're the Academy side. I don't think you'll see that. Do I think you'll see a couple 15, 16, 17 year olds playing games? Yeah, I do a hundred percent do. And I think that's the benefit of having RSL's Academy right there. Kids are going to school in the academy right there. Their dorms are just outside the stadium. And hopefully they're going to get a shot on the bench there or in games. And I think we've seen that pay dividends for guys like David Ochoa. And, and then when you think about the RSL system, RSL's lost some big name players to Europe that have never featured with the Monarchs. And that's, I think, something that the club wants to avoid. So I think you're going to see some of these youth players playing. Um, but I think this club's going to be someone that'll punch above their weight. Uh, do I think they're going to win the mountain division? I don't know. I, I would hope they challenge a little bit more for it, uh, but I think there's some sides that are more well-equipped to do so. Um, I think they'll get off to a little bit of a slow start, 
Uh, but I think there'll be a side that you don't want to face later in the season as guys are battling for minutes and trying to get contracts with Real Salt Lake. So my prediction would be that they're uh, kind of middle to high pack, uh, but uh, Harry, I can see chiming in, not winning the Mountain Division, the Monarchs, but uh, – <laughs> and I, you know, as somebody, I should say they'll win it, but uh, I, I firmly believe that they'll they'll be a tough team to play and they'll bring some grit into games. Um, Hamas and Olave is that type of guy. Uh, and I think they'll kind of reload with talent this year. So uh, maybe it's uh, maybe it's a warning shot to watch out in the next two seasons for this this side. OK, well, thank you, Landon. I'm going to go ahead and uh, bring on our next guest. Next guest joins me. He's no stranger to the Seek and Strike podcast show. We had him on uh, a couple weeks ago. He was talking about Michael Azira. Our next guest I'm bringing on is Matt Pollard of Holding the High Line to talk about Colorado Springs switchbacks. Matt, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you, Chris? Happy hump day. Uh, USL Championship almost back now. Yeah, that's right. We're, We're right there. I'm doing good. Thank you so much. Um, you know, so kicking right off and kind of, you know, uh, switchbacks, you know, started obviously their club kind of on the high line, if you will. Um, <laughs> uh, things have been a little rocky uh, over the last couple of years. Sorry, man. I'm, I'm really sorry. Uh, but, uh, you know, obviously they're trying to bring things back around, you know, signing the new coach, Brendan Burke. Um, there were some departures, I think, that were kind of key. Uh, Christian Valeski and Aiden Daniels kind of come to my mind. But um, what what is what is the switchback? What are the switchbacks doing? You know, really to get back to a place of prominence at this point. Well, I think they're from the ground up, they're just completely overhauling everything that's gone on at the club. Obviously, the big thing there that, you know, you'd start with would be the new stadium, Widener Field that's opening up that my good friend Mark Turner is trying to make the epic. We're trying to call it the epic. So the switchbacks are playing at the epic, referring to the description for the fancy like um, like uh, statue thing that uh, that lights up outside on one corner of the city, but really it's been it's been a club that hasn't really had a direction. I think outside of just existing within the championship and then kind of gradually having an improved relationship with the Colorado Rapids. And it's just an idea of who they are and their philosophies on the technical side of things. We've seen Brian Crookham do that as general manager of the club, albeit coming over from a Rapids perspective as he's the Rapids Academy director. So a bit of a, you know, him seeing the club from a different standpoint, but I think bringing in a young head coach who has his ideas, who's looking to learn, who's looking to improve upon it. And for the first time, really kind of have the shackles taken off him. If we look back at his time in the Philadelphia Union organization, where there was a very different motive and different objectives during his time with, it would have originally been Bethlehem Steel, now obviously is Philadelphia Union too. But he has ideas and tactical ideas that are different from what was going on when he was with Philadelphia that he is going to bring to this. And he's trying to bring in players who fit that mold and have a good mix of veterans who are going to be productive at the USL level guys who he wants to help develop, give a platform to then move on. And then obviously an improved relationship with the Rapids where they've got five really plausible contributors on loan from the first team. I would say three of whom easily could be impact starters in the USL championship. And so for the first time ever, really we're seeing 
the ideas of what this club can be and what they want to be. First of all, that there are tangible ideas. And second, that they're executing them in terms of the people who they brought in and the roles that they will be filling. So, you know, something we saw last year, I mean, obviously just with all the teams playing each other so many times is the switchbacks really became a competitor, you know, and, and, you know, and, you know, what, what are they doing or what are they, what have they done, I guess, in preseason um, just to kind of, fortify the philosophy that that Brendan Burke has I mean what, what things have you been seeing uh well I can't speak too much to the friendlies just because there have only been two of them and they had some issues anyways um I spoke to Brendan Burke maybe not quite a month ago and there were still several guys who hadn't even fully joined camp yet because of visas and everything and how much of that was quarantined from them coming out of one state into Colorado which has been a little bit more strict than some of the states that they have been I'm not entirely sure but, you know, I will say he the, the organization, I think, for the first time ever is really focusing on fitness and the sports science implications of playing at altitude. As a lot of people, every time I go down for a switchbacks game, um, I'm living in Denver for the listeners who didn't uh, who weren't on for the last show that I was on with you, Chris. Uh, you know, they like to point out the fact that technically, you know, the switchback stadium, the switchbacks are the highest elevated soccer club, professional soccer club in the United States with you know, them being just over, you know, 7,100 feet, I think, Widener Field we're going to be in, and that's pretty close to what Fortress and Creek were as well. Meanwhile, here down at the low ground, you know, Dick Sporting Goods Park is just over a mile elevation. And so they focused on sports science, and I think that was key in terms of them saying that we're going to have training we're going to have training camp and preseason almost entirely in the springs whereas if we've seen with other clubs doing that you know landon might be able to speak to how that's happened with rsl or with real monarchs where they go somewhere else that's lower elevation and then it even takes them a couple of weeks of playing games at home to be hashtag strength at altitude this is a team that by the time they kick off their first home game they'll spend two two and a half months training just over 7,000 feet for the large part. So I think they're focusing on that in ways that I think, you know, Trishute was rather, you know, not a neophyte. What's the word that I'm a, a Luddite towards that. And certainly that was something that Alan Koch wasn't around long enough to even fully implement. And I think that fits in with tactically what they're going to be, which for me is probably going to be a 4-3-3 pressing, pragmatic, blue collar team that I think fits in with the talent they have and also just the realities of the team from a financial standpoint until we get to Widener Field being sold out season tickets 10,000 people no social distancing what what matches are you really looking forward to um the switchbacks you know playing what teams do you think are really going to um I guess which ones do you think are going to be the the strong matches the epic matches of the season uh, well, I mean, we'll start off, first of all, with the home opener with New Mexico United. So you want to talk about, you know, a club that's been, I'd say, the standard bearer in the mountain division, certainly in the four corners states, along with Phoenix over the course of the last couple of years. I think that'll be a big one for them. And I really just I maybe I'm just misremembering things, but I really felt like El Paso really gave the switchbacks a hard time the last couple of years as well. But, you know, I think I think every match is going to be really big for the switchbacks now because finally, you know, new stadium. New head coach, best relationship with the Rapids, bunch of really good loan players, bunch of really good signings that they brought. Now I think there's real expectations, certainly from an ownership standpoint, where I would say previously, you know, the you know, the, the Reagans or the real pressure that you had from up above was basically don't be absolute crap to the point where it affects us from a financial standpoint. And now there's more financial resources and potential for revenue post-COVID than is ever going to exist in the club's history. And with that is going to come 
improved first team resources, and that has to come to results. And uh, why should uh, why should USL fans that are watching the Mountain Division not sleep on the uh, switchbacks this year? Uh, I think it's. I mean, I think it's a it's a young group. It's a young head coach, and it's a group of guys who kind of have been looking for an opportunity. You know, the the switchbacks certainly in this division are maybe a little bit of the you know revenge of the island of misfit toys united, if you will, just between some of the old guard of the switchbacks players who were there and then weren't seeing. You know, they were they were there. They worked really hard, and they just didn't get the results. And so, in that, Arani Arguda is discounted in some regard but i look at every single acquisition they've brought in they brought in somebody who has something to prove or is being given an opportunity that then they need to do something with it and that i think it's going to be a really really hungry team it's going to be a motivated team with a young coach who knows how to get product productivity out of players at this level and in that i think they're going to be i think this is going to be i i'm still not sure i have them making the playoffs uh, they definitely from I would not be betting money that they're going to win the division, but this is going to be the most thorn in your side. The, you know, Jose Mourinho talks about how Spurs players, you know, in the um, all or nothing documentary about how they're too nice. This this roster and this team doesn't have enough B words out there. This is going to be a team that, you know, without making implications on their character. They are going to be that they're going to be B words and they are going to be ruthless and hardworking and in your face and pesky for 90 minutes in ways that I think that intensity hasn't always been there for the switchbacks or it's done so at a talent or resources deficit, which I think the switchbacks are increasingly closing the gap on to a locomotive to a New Mexico United. Well said. Thank you, Matt. My next guest that I'll be bringing on is uh, Mark Bay from the Striker Texas. We talking about uh, Austin Bold FC. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing well, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, you're more than welcome. Thank you so much. And this is your first podcast, so yeah, yeah, yeah. We so definitely got to celebrate that. Right on. Yeah, pop the cherry today. Um, I just got to plug the Striker Texas real quick. Uh, we're a new news organization that's covering soccer across Texas. So that's MLS, FC Dallas, Houston Dynamo, and Austin FC, as well as USL. So Austin Bold, um, El Paso, uh, RGV Toros, and uh, San Antonio FC, all of which are here. So if you're a fan of one of those teams, check out thestrikertexas.com. Um, it's really in-depth coverage that you can't find anywhere else. Right on. So speaking of some of that coverage, again, you you are a journalist. You you cover uh, Austin Bold FC. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that I was thinking about today was, you know, Austin Bold, you know, as far as we all were concerned, we all thought that this club was was going to cease operations, you know, with, you know, the, the embarkment of Austin uh, FC coming in for MLS. But, you know, obviously that not being the case, I mean, what what is the general census, you know, uh, in the soccer community there with Austin Bold still uh, existing? And, and what is the relationship between the two teams, if there's one? Wow, awesome question. And there's a ton there. Um, I'll start with what my feelings for the Bold are for this season. There's no question that this season is going to be kind of a make or break one for the Bold. Um, when the club was started three years ago, Bobby Epstein, who's uh, the guy who owns Circuit of the Americas and, and the Austin Bold, um, decided to start with three years and at the end of three years, see what happens. So 
none of the players are contracted for next year, and it really is completely up in the air if the Bolden will continue this year, uh, after this year or not. Um, I would say right now I peg it around 50-50. I think if they have a good season and they get a lot of fans in the stands, um, there's already a stadium out there anyway, and uh, the marginal cost might not be super high to Bobby. It really comes down to him. Um, he's the sole owner, and he's the mad billionaire who's in charge of this club, and so he gets to make the decision if they continue or not. Um, so totally up in the air. In regards to Austin FC, um, that has become a really, really awkward relationship. No question about it. Um, Austin Bold FC are owned by Bobby Epstein, as I already mentioned, and Austin FC are owned by Anthony Precourt, who was the owner of the Columbus crew, who tried to move, steal the crew from Columbus. Uh, he failed, but he still got his team down to Austin FC. Um, when Austin was coming in, they were getting a bond, a city bond, to help build the stadium, McCallum Place, where Austin FC place, uh, plays. And uh, uh, Bobby Epstein also owns Circuit of the Americas, which is one of the premier entertainment locations in Austin. So there became this terrible billionaire cat fight. Um, Bobby Epstein um, was uh, promoting a proposition in the local election to like not give McCalla Place um, a tax break. And then, you know, it, it just got to be bad blood. Um, it got, I think, personal and a little bit beyond business in a way. Um, so Austin FC's official like attitude towards Austin Bold is to completely ignore them. Bold uh, sent out a press release challenging Austin FC to a match. Austin FC completely ignored it. Um, they're not loaning any players to Austin Bold. They haven't mentioned Austin Bold. They'll never mention Austin Bold. In Austin FC world, Austin Bold FC does not exist. Um, and so that creates a big challenge for the Bold, obviously. Um, at this point, they're the little brother, and they want to make peace and get fans to exchange between the clubs and have uh, folks at both um, supporting both clubs. But it's not necessarily clear that's going to happen. Um, some of the supporter groups are starting to uh, – interact and you know when supporters get together they tend to they get along right so and they just love soccer um there's only two games uh that overlap between austin fc and austin bold so if you were an austin fc fan you could just be going to soccer every weekend and getting to see austin fc austin bold austin fc and that's the model for success um if a rising tide floats all boats you know austin bold will continue to do well but if that's not the case this it very well could be their last last season Okay, and so um, and that's that's very good information to know, um, just because, you know, you know, when Austin came through, obviously in their first year, you know, they made postseason last year, they didn't, and then of course, you know, you know, we saw other clubs also uh, concede to close as well, you know, in previous seasons. So, you know, we thought that was the case, um, you know, but yeah. now that they're when the pandemic happened and everything got canceled, I. I went to the first game, which was against New Mexico United. I don't know, were you there, Chris? I was there, actually. Hold on, man. I mean, wasn't that's like that's like flashback to uh, the old world, right? Like there was tons of New Mexico United fans, and one week later, everything uh, NBA gets suspended, everything closes down. Yeah, kind of, right. Kind of a surreal uh, thing to think back on, but um, what I thought maybe that game that I went to would be one of their last. I wasn't necessarily sure they would continue um, after the pandemic pandemic but they picked it back up and they're back here for a third year so we'll see right. what happens so heading into this year you know you know i know that they lost some some key figures you know andre lima uh billy forbes and diego restrepo um you know what like who do you think has replaced those players um that might be key signings coming into this season 
Yeah, that's a great question, Chris. So Austin Bold FC are like a lot of the other clubs in USL that they've had a ton, a ton of player turnover. Um, it would be easier to list the players that are coming back than the players that actually departed. Um, and they did lose a lot of their firepower, like you said. Um, but the, the build of the club has shifted. So um, when the pandemic occurred, Roberto Silva, who was the previous uh, general manager for the Austin Bold, was uh, released and uh, Rick Abbott came in to take over. Um, and the, I've, speaking to Rick Abbott, the new GM, uh, they're trying to build like a money ball style team. So they're not having the big name players like they used to, like Kleber, Andre Lima, Edson Brothide. They're relying more on younger players and players that are already established within the, uh, within the U.S. and in, the, in USL in particular. Um, players that I can highlight that I think will be scoring goals this year is Stefano Pino. A longtime USL fan should be uh, familiar with him. He also played in MLS with Orlando City. Um, weirdly, he came over from uh, the Xinjiang Flying Tigers, which is one of the best names in world soccer, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, way less controversial city to live in than Xinjiang, Austin, Texas. Uh, another one uh, would be uh, Omar, Omar Gordon, who used to be at uh, Oklahoma City. And then Jason Johnson, who had that phenomenal season a couple years back for um, Phoenix Rising. And he's looking to recapture that form. Oh, as well, um, uh Ugo Okoli, he used to go by Sean Okoli. Uh, you may know him as a Sean Okoli. He's uh, now going by Ugo to, um, to to show respect to his heritage, which I think is badass. Um, so, yeah, Ugo Okoli, um, going to be a big target man, hold-up player. He can probably get some goals. And then Atastouf is a Senegalese uh, youngster who plays on the wing, scored a lot of goals last year. So maybe he'll have another good season. I don't know. What was uh, one of the concerns from the team last year and how do you think they've addressed it uh, through preseason um, this year? Hmm. Well, I mean, the team's completely different than it was last year in a lot of ways. Um, so, um, I don't know. I mean, I think that the team is having to replace – the biggest issue is that they're replacing a ton of firepower. Um, the defense remains mostly the same, and a lot of the, the midfield's the same, like Javi Baez and Omar Sis are back this year, as well as Fabian Garcia and Jermaine Taylor, who play in the center back. Um, but I think the challenge this year will be drumming up firepower. Uh, I heard the other guys talking about where they think their club will be. I'm kind of on the same page with Matt in regards to Colorado with the bold. I think that they probably will make the playoffs, but I wouldn't put money on it. They're going to be right in, in the middle there. I definitely don't think they're going to win the, um, the the conference. The conference is way too strong. It's like a group of death in USL, and there's too many good teams. I think El Paso, New Mexico, or San Antonio is going to be one of those three will win it. But Overall, I think they'll be pretty like a pretty much like a mid-table team. Um, if they want to get up on the table, it's going to be mostly through um, like winning one nil, two nil, like tough games because they do have a strong defense. Okay, well, well said, sir. Uh, thank you for the input. And uh, now I'm going to bring on the next guest. Strikertexas.com, baby. <laughs> uh, next guest, I'm bringing on. You know. He really doesn't need any introduction. Uh, he, he used to live uh, south of me, but now he lives way across the world. And, you know, y you could hear him uh, at Seriously Loco, but tonight you're hearing him here uh, on We Are Seek and Strike podcast. Of course, I'm bringing on the gent, Mr. Phil Bocchi. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you doing? Doing great. I think this is the first time I've ever seen you face to face. Yeah, yeah, we've uh I don't know, two ships passing in the night, I guess. Uh it's it's been a weird set of circumstances. Otherwise, I'm sure we would have met by now. I feel like I'm unmasking Dr. Claw on Inspector Gadget, just just to be honest <laughs> with you. 
Yeah, I, I guess I've played the villain to New Mexico United fans for uh, or listeners of Seek and Strike up till now. So um, yeah, now I I don't I, I'm I'm glad to be here though, and and glad to provide some uh, some insight to Locomotive. Ta-da. Okay, so Phil, I mean Locomotive, you know, you know, no question, back to back Western Conference finalist. I mean, we have to give you the cake. You know, the team has been explosive. You know, under Mark Lowry, um, what what in your mind has he done right there? And you know, and and what have been some of the things he's talked about in this preseason about this season coming up? Yeah, he. Uh, well, I think the thing he's in terms of things he's gotten right. I think he's he's done a, a genuinely good job of building a winning culture um, and holding on in this offseason i think one you know one of the things that's been mentioned in the teams ahead of me has been the turnover and i think compared to the amount of turnover that a lot of teams have had this offseason locomotive have actually done a really good job of holding on to the spine of the team um 13 players that had significant minutes last year are coming back um which is a, a obviously a a massive number given given the amount of turnover that other clubs have had so i think that's been a a big part of of mark's success has been finding the the people who fit in with his style fit with his culture and then you know making it a place where they want to stick around um and and it's a place that they want to play uh and then as far as as far as this season talking you know talking about heading into this season i think you can see in the moves that they did make it was about refreshing that that attacking line, um, getting some new pieces in uh, in Aiden Apodaca, Luis Solignac, obviously from who was at San Antonio, Aguinaga, and then and then uh, you know I think just getting some fresh pieces into that attacking lineup and making them more of a threat because I think the one question mark about Locomotive under Lowry has been the goal scoring, and now they have a, a pretty solid unit with a pretty good pedigree. Um, and with Dylan Mara's right behind him, it's, uh, I, I think we're, we're looking at a, a pretty dangerous locomotive team for the first time, maybe in their history. Yeah. I mean, uh, they definitely got, got some firepower, some weapons there. Um, you know, you know, what was very interesting really in thinking about locomotive is that, you know, it's, it's like the tale of two sides, you know, and, in, in, in terms of the division and, and, They've really just progressed. Um, I know that you know, in watching them them live, it's just like there's a, a different type of energy on this pitch. Um, you know, one of my questions to you, Phil, is what? Where do you? I mean, obviously, where do you kind of see them in this season? Like, I mean, do they have really what they need at this point to to win a Western Conference final, or are there still some unanswered questions? I think. I think this team, given the given that they have had less turnover, I think they're in a, they're positioned well to to contend uh, to to go as far or, or further than uh, they have the last two seasons. I think they'll definitely be competitive in terms of of winning the division. Um, I think they'll they'll be up there um, if I can. I think once you get to the playoffs and you're in a single elimination format, I mean, we saw last season, like our, you know, our clubs went, went the distance and, and it was a penalty, you know, that ended up separating it. Um, So 
Yeah, I, I think it's tough to make any predictions about how deep someone goes in the playoffs in a single elimination format, but I think I think that Locomotive right now are well positioned to to at least match what they've done in the regular season and maybe maybe even go a little bit further. So um yeah, it's uh once once you're in the the playoffs, it's a total crapshoot, as I think we saw um, you know, in each round of the playoffs last year for Locomotive with a couple of penalty shootout wins and then a penalty shootout loss to Phoenix. So it's you know, it's uh yeah, it's a total crapshoot once you get that far. What matches are you anticipating uh, on the schedule uh, when it comes to uh, within the Mountain Division? I mean, we obviously have the New Mexico United games circled on the calendar from the beginning. It's it. I think it's budding into a really nice rivalry now. Um, it it always has been. I think on the field, in terms of the players, they feel it. Um, but I think with the the games over the last couple of seasons, and now a playoff game against each other. Um, and you know, locomotive getting a win uh, over over New Mexico, a couple of wins now. Um, I think it's just growing into a really cool uh, interstate rivalry there, and I'm I'm always excited by those games. And kicking the season off against against New Mexico United at home is is a treat. Um, but yeah, within the division, I don't know that there's a bad game like in the division right now with the way these teams are set up because. It used to be that, uh, you know, the MLS two sides were not really sure. RGV, no offense, but now RGV is independent. San Antonio FC, obviously, always always a tough a, a tough team to play. Um, and Austin Bold adding to that Copa Tejas rivalry now as well. So there's there's just a lot going on in, in this division. Real Monarchs like promised to be to be tough year in and year out. So. Yeah, within the division, I think it's just going to be a bunch of entertaining games of soccer, and I think it'll be a lot of fun to watch. Um, I'm just really interested to see how the rest of the division shapes up based on, you know, having as much turnover as some as, as some of the clubs did. Like Mark said with Austin, I mean, you're basically watching a new team, so it can get a little tough to predict, but I think each of these games is going to be enjoyable to watch for sure. And do you think uh, Logan, Logan Ketterer, uh, you know, do you think he competes for the uh, Golden Globe this year? I think so. Um, I think the biggest the biggest credit to Logan, uh, or maybe the biggest credit to the team, is the fact that Logan isn't getting the accolades that maybe he deserves, um, or at least we feel he deserves, uh, because he doesn't face as many shots as other keepers in USL. So he doesn't have like as many of these kind of like high save numbers uh, and stuff like that. It'll be interesting. The defensive unit for the most part stayed intact um, for, for locomotive, but the one piece that did change Chiro and Toko, um, he suffered that, that big ACL injury towards the end of this, towards the end of the season. He's no longer with the club. Um, and they brought in Niall Logue from, from FC Tucson, one of the best passing center backs in league one last year. So it'll be really interesting how he adapts to the champion championship level. Um, but I think really that midfield and defensive unit being so intact is going to give Logan another chance at, at being one of the best keepers just because he doesn't have to, you know, he has to come up with the big save um, late in the game. He has to come up with that one big moment rather than he's not facing a barrage um, at most, most games. So um yeah, I think that control of the game, but Logan Logan is just such a quality keeper, and I'm just glad that unlike 
unlike Cody, uh, for you guys, I'm just glad that he didn't get the attention so that he was off to MLS or something <laughs> like that. Cause I, I would not want to be replacing Logan this season. Yeah, exactly. You, you wouldn't want this uh, late, late turnover for sure. Thank you, Phil. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to drop you back into the lobby. We'll bring you back, uh, for the, uh, final go round. Thanks, Chris. You're welcome. Next guest is going to be Mr. Harry Austin, uh, one of our top listeners on Seek and Strike podcast, but uh, tonight he's got a different role. He's on the show. Uh, Harry Austin, how you doing tonight? Doing well, Chris. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. I know you got that hurricane watch out there or tornado, tornado. watch. You know, out there, uh, how's everything going so far? It's going on right here. You know, to me, you know, it's just a tough follow with, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, following Phil, uh, you know, the the great Phil here. So you put me in a bind already. At, you know, is, is this, you know, re- <laughs> you know, you know, more uh, pouring salt on the wound after the handball last year? Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. You have to face two teams like that. <laughs> um, so, Harry, uh, you know, in talking about San Antonio, I mean, you know, we obviously can't deny that San Antonio uh, made a run uh, in Group D last season. Um, you definitely let us know on Twitter several times that you had the uh, the best team uh, in the USL uh, Western Conference. You know, of course, Phil Phil's, Phil's not having that. I mean, he'll tell you. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, you guys made a run, and then, of course, you know, then things kind of changed up, you know, losing the first round to New Mexico United. Um, Pro ref. <laughs> uh, you know, my first question to you, Harry, really is, uh, you know, you talk about some of these uh, departures uh, from your squad. I mean, your, your team has lost, you know, top scorer, uh, Louis Solinianak, uh, to El Paso, obviously, and, of course, Christian Prado, you know, walked when his contract was over, um, you know, how how has those departures affected the club? In your oh, it's we are the exact opposite of El Paso. Uh, looking at the roster, um, if you look at who started the first game last year, PC uh, Jose uh, Matt Cardoni, uh, our backup goalkeeper, and Connor Maloney um, really are the only ones that came back. Um, Axel Schoberg, who was loaned here from the Columbus Crew. Played the first game, but it was immediately called back to Columbus and then was traded to uh, D.C. United last year. He is back, but um, technically, you know, you talk about the forwards, really the back lines, a, a new back line, uh, you know, for that as well. Um, goalkeeping is, is the same, but uh, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how San Antonio does because – you know, we, you know, we were discussing on SA Soccer. This is really a, a, a new team, um, you know, for that here, which I know you see turnover in USL Championship, but, you know, usually, you know, like Louisville City, Tampa Bay, Phoenix, you know, El Paso, they've kept their core. San Antonio didn't. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, come that first game against uh, Colorado Springs, Number one, what the formation will be, and number two, who who comes out. Now, along with that, I mean, I know that you know, information is kind of slow, slowly dripping out in San Antonio. Um, but uh, what are some of the what are some of the key signings um, that so, you're that you're really interested in this point? So for me, Chris Lima from the Red Bulls. Um, 
Cam Lindley from Indy 11. Um, Emil uh, Suelo from uh, the Galaxy. They're going to be the, you know, the big changes in the midfield, I think. Uh, we got Sam Gleadle, uh, luckily, uh, who came was with Reno last year, got signed late by Minnesota United and then was, was cut. Uh, we have uh, Jesser uh, uh, Kamiri on loan from uh, the uh, Whitecaps and uh, Matthew Deplane, uh, who came from uh, Cincinnati. And then up top, which I'm kind of interested to see because we've got a couple of young, uh, hungry um, French MLSers, uh, you know, that that came down. Justin Dillon from Seattle Sounders and Santiago Patino uh, from Orlando City. So I think the talent is probably top to bottom is probably better than last year's. Uh, you know, if you look at the roster, it's younger. Um, San Antonio is the youngest um independent uh team here um and i know landon kind of you know brought you know brought something you know when he was talking about the monarchs on having that hungriness i think with uh, coach marcina having these fringe mlsers that you know kind of that borderline still young still you know if they can have a great year they can maybe you know jump leap back up to mls uh you know for that here i i think the i think the opportunity is there. The question is, is will will they live up to live up to the talent? And can Coach uh, Marcina, um, you know, get get them across that line? You know, beyond just making the playoffs to get an actual playoff win and, and really go more, um, really go go further into the playoffs. You know, like or like New Mexico and like El Paso has the last couple of years. Yeah, so what, what really is going to ultimately send El Paso into the playoffs for, like, a deeper run? I mean, who, who do you for think? San Antonio? Is, sorry, there you Man, Phil, Phil is affecting everyone here. <laughs> uh, he's got to get in this plan. Uh, no, what <laughs> – yeah, for San Antonio, like, how do you see a deep run happening for the club? I mean, who, who is going to step up and, and make that impact? Well, I think you got to have somebody up top. Uh, you know, either Dylan or uh, Patino step up and, and be the goal scorer to fill the uh, position that Sully Nag did last year and did great. Um, to me, the question kind of comes in with Jose Gallegos. You know, how long how how long is he in San Antonio for? Because um, you fig, you know, for San Antonio, hopefully they don't do what they did with Pirano and, and hold him all the way through the year um, and let him go on a free hopefully you know they can get an offer um i know he had a trial with uh you know over in europe uh, with uh, barcelona and uh Bayern munich uh for that so hopefully you know you know come you know the the summer transfer window he he's able to move on uh for that here so to me it kind of depends on how the midfield can gel um the back line i'm not really too concerned about because i think there's a lot of talent there but to me it's it's who can it's, it's who can score um, San Antonio, San Antonio plays a very pressing, uh, pressing way under coach Marcina. So, you know, and, and I think with, you know, talking with uh, some of my colleagues here last year's lineup probably didn't fit a hundred percent, you know, the way coach want, you know, coach, uh, Marcina wanted. So I think this year you're going to see a, probably a little bit more better balanced for the pressing that he's wanting. Um, so, you know, to me, you know, to me, I think, 
if you know San Antonio's got that heavy home home start here, if they can get some decent results on there, um, and, and you know, unlike every, every, like everybody else, come October where they got those seven matches, you don't want to for San Antonio, you don't want to have to be depending on results. You know, you needing points to kind of catch up and make the playoffs uh, for that here. And uh, what matchups are you really looking forward to um, in this? mountain division so it has to start with rgv with them being coming independent um you know san antonio and rgv you know have you know have that love-hate relationship kind of like you have with uh you know new mexico and el paso has um the bold's kind of interesting um just for the fact that you know they're the closest team but you know, there's that question mark, and, and I know Mark, uh, you know, mentioned you know mentioned it earlier on. How long are they actually going to be here? I think if we knew if they were going to be more long term, if they had more you know more of a fan base that was turning out, and, you know, for that here, you know, it might be a little bit different. Um, but I can tell you the match that's probably circled is going to be New Mexico United. Um, you know, everybody wants. There's a lot of people here in San Antonio that uh feel like that game didn't go the way it should have um some of it was you know errors on 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 san antonio's side don't get me wrong uh but you know a lot of people don't realize that there was a goal that was called back uh you know uh, by doyle um and then of course the handball uh from you know that got new mexico you know the the 1-0 win uh for that here so to me uh like I said here that New Mexico, those New Mexico games, because um, New Mexico travels well. Um, I know you came, you know, uh, what, two years ago here. So, you know, the curse and, and uh, seek and strike, you know, come over here. So, you know, travel well. So I think that game will be will be one of the must must to watch, uh, you know, here in San Antonio. Right on. Thank you, Harry. And, uh, you know, and, and Harry, I'm going to go ahead and give you the reins so you can uh, ask me the questions that you uh You've been asking me all week. Yeah, so for you, a little bit role reversal here. Uh, for New Mexico United, who are the major uh, departures, uh, at least from an outsider's view? It seems like that you've lost a lot of talent uh, at key positions um, for that. You know, for that here. So uh, the losses uh, for New Mexico, if you can kind of highlight who who are the ones that are going to be tough to replace. I mean, Chris Weehan is obviously a big departure for the club, um, you know, and, and in addition to, to that, just because of his leadership on the pitch, you know, not to mention, you know, he was, you know, one of the top scoring uh, players for the team, you know, he was getting goals in every match, you know, and, uh, and you know, and he really did rally, rally the troops last season. Uh, in addition, you know, New Mexico United has really been trying to replace um, Kavon Freider for two seasons, I think. Um, I think that we added Romeo Parks last year, and we all thought that maybe that was going to be um, the the remedy. Um, but really, he wasn't used in a way that you know that we could all be satisfied. So I think we were still trying to replace him and Santi Moore uh, from the first season. And then, let alone now with Weehan being out, you know, there's a lot of a lot of. Um, there's that sort of concern of, okay, like this is another top scorer two seasons in a row. Um, I think Cody Mizell um, is another uh, person that, you know, that the fans and 
and, and from my perspective, that it's like it's a loss. Um, and more so, the reason why I think it's a loss is because when he, you know, got that that uh, nod over to NYCFC, we didn't have someone like Ben Beery, you know, to go ahead and lean on as a number two because he had already gone to Oakland Roots. So, you know, when it comes to goalkeeper, here we are trying out um, Phil Beigel, who is someone who was training with the club the first year and then signed the second year, you know, but really doesn't have any USL minutes, you know, only really played for TSV Germany. And then, of course, you got Alex Timbakis, who comes from uh, NCFC, you know, had some Atlanta United, obviously, in his in his time as a goalkeeper. And the general census here is like, folks want to see Phil Beigel as the number one because they feel like, you know, he's been here, he's put in, you know, some time with the club, he's just kind of been in the pecking order. But then, you know, of course, folks think that, you know, Alex Timbakis, you know, will probably be the guy because he's high profile in terms of a keeper in the East Coast. Um, but still, really, I mean, they've both played equal amount of minutes through preseason. So we don't really know who has the job. But um, the goalkeeper, for sure. I mean, when you're going into mm -hmm. this particular division, um, you, you definitely need to know that you have a guy that's going to be able to to stop the goals that are coming through. Because as Phil mentioned prior, I mean, you know, they've got some explosive players. I mean, we still are a little bit shook on the Dylan Nightmares uh, shot heard around the world from uh, from the side of the left side of the pitch. I mean, I sat there on the, on the dirt at uh, um, at uh, the swap and saw that go in, you know, firsthand. So that that definitely has some lasting effects. We definitely need someone who can who can stop those goals. So definitely, I'd say those are the major departures for United. What about arrivals? Like, uh, you know, who's going to be the key that's coming in uh, this year for New Mexico United? Um, obviously, you touched on the goal goaltending still a little bit of a question mark, at least at this point. Um, I do think you've got some talent there. It's just a matter of who steps up. But um, especially in the midfield, who, who's going to be the, who's going to be the ones that step up and, and who's the key uh, signees or returnees this year? Well, I mean, you bring up a good point with the midfield, uh, you know, and again, Phil will probably attest to this because he's watched it as well. I mean, New Mexico United's midfield, like we we were really, we had a lot of holes uh, in the ship, so to say, last season. Um, you know, we had a big issue with, with stopping a team like El Paso through the midfield, um, you know, going back to that uh, semifinal match. You know, we also had a hard time really advancing the ball through the midfield as well. Um, we had to, you know, switch the pitch a number of times going overhead to get the ball there. You know, so, I mean, we made a lot of midfield signings in the offseason. I think that um, key pieces in the midfield, I think, you know, one is going to be Cello Martinez from RGV. I think that is huge for us because we can have someone who's defensive who can win the ball in the midfield and, you know, can obviously, you know, send the ball into the box, you know, so we don't necessarily have to always rely on, I say a Kalen Ryder or a Justin Schmidt to try to push the ball up from the back line. You know, we can kind of win some balls a little earlier. And I think also along with that, I think a key signing is Andrew Tanari. You know, having a re-signing for him is because Tanari brought a lot of grit uh, to the midfield. You know, he was someone that just added a lot of attitude. And ultimately, you know, I mean, you know, through the offseason, we didn't really know if we were going to have that player back, right? Um mm -hmm. Sergio Rivas, another player, you know, obviously with a budding career, he's someone who can kind of add to the attack. I mean, he did, you know, 
definitely, you know, had a nice little run in Reno. Uh, you know, obviously he's a local guy, so that's a huge one for us. Um, Brian Brown and Ilya Illich, I think, are, are huge up top for us. Uh, Brian Brown, obviously, being, you know, a goal scorer for Reno through its three years, through his, you know, two and a half-ish seasons with Reno and, of course, going to Albania, you know, where it's a little bit different of a competition there. But, you know, he's back now. He's back in the USL now, and he's looking to ultimately get back to something familiar, uh, familiar level of competition. I think Ilya Illich is someone that we're interested in, seeing how he's going to really transpire uh, in the league just because, you know, he, he had a really solid run with um, – with Lou City, those two two seasons, and uh, you know, I think in the last year, you know, with with Tyler Pasher there in Indy, it's like, well, mm-hmm. you know, can he kind of be that guy, right? So ultimately, that's what we're we're looking at. So I got two more questions here. Um, the last one I'm going to talk about more, you know, soccer back in New Mexico because last year you guys were road road warriors. Uh, but speaking of, of road warriors, uh, to me, I think New Mexico got the hardest out of uh, out of conference matchups, especially on the road. You know, you go to Tacoma, they're a MLS two team, which I think if they're on the road, it's a little bit easier. But at home, with the ability of Sounders to be able to loan people down, I think it's a little bit. It's you know, raise it raises the level of that game. Uh, but then the other three are, are are just you know barn burners. You got you go to Phoenix, you know, in, in their new uh, stadium here. You go to Louisville City, uh, you know, which uh, you know has a new stadium, and then you go to San Diego. Uh, so all four of those matches on the road bring kind of different questions, uh, you know, for that here. I know Rising's you know a, a big rival. Uh, San Diego and Louisville City, you know, you know are very talented teams here. So. Um, just looking at the outer conference schedule, especially when you look at the rest of the division, really nobody compares, especially on the way matches here. So, you know, how do you think last year kind of helps being able to handle, handle, you know, those, those matches and, and, you know, the supporters on there? I mean, I think that the, the, attic, I think the fact that they played all their matches on the road last year, you know, even the uh, playoffs, yeah, all of them. It, I think ultimately it just kind of built some sort of uh, resilience, right? Because I mean, earlier on in the season, I think that they were it was very one to one in the matches on whether or not they were going to be able to eventually start playing at home. Mm-hmm. And I think they were kind of tethered to this the the uncertainty that any the next match could be that match, you know. And then there was a point where they just kind of flipped the switch and. They stopped really worrying about, you know, the fact that they were on the road. Um, you know, in, in several pressers, you know, Troy said that, you know, he had talked to uh, the – I'm not sure the person's name, but he had talked to the person who had really, you know, been instrumental in the Blue Jays for Major League Baseball, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in terms of maybe the sort of mental wellness, if you will, of like, you know, playing away from home. You know, and that was something that was key to ultimately, you know, motivating our guys, you know, to, you know, just kind of, you know, power through the fact that they were going to be playing away, you know, through the season. So I think this year, I think that they're no stranger to the road matches. I think that maybe it gave them a little edge. If anything, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they do at home because, Mm -hmm. 
you know, we still had a limited capacity in the stadium here. I mean, still 25%. There's about, you know, 3,500 fans that could be in the stadium. You know, it maybe won't be uh, the fortress that, you know, teams experienced in 2019 just yet until, you know, things open up more. But ultimately, I just think that with soccer being back in the state, you know, I think with the guys come here because of the of the fan base one. You know what I mean? That's I think that's mm-hmm. one of the major uh, draws. So I think they'll get a little bit of that. I think that the team's going to power through, and you know, and they're gonna they're gonna deliver. Uh, you know, at, at the at the lab. And then that brings my my last question in, and, and then like I said here, I know we got RGV to to get with the great Ray here, uh, but. After last year being all on the road, how special is it going to be to be back at the lab? You know, to um, I know probably at the start it's going to be. I think you mentioned twenty five percent just now, but you know, I think all expectation is is probably after a month or two that that's going to be, uh, you know, going up. Uh, you know, being you know being raised here. So, um, how you know. How special, or, or what are you, you know, what do you kind of expect, you know, you know, when the fans return and, and to be able to see the team, uh, really for the first time in, in two years? I mean, I think it's going to be great. Um, you know, the tickets have sold out pretty fast here. You know, they're doing something with, you know, selling tickets in waves, so they're only selling two tickets, uh, or two tickets a month, so to say, uh, to the fans, and uh, you know, and, and that's definitely there's a high demand. Um, what folks are really excited about is, you know, being able to be there in the stands and feel like normal again somewhat, you know, and, uh, you know, for myself, I mean, you know, it's, it'll be great to see it in person. You know, I mean, all of last year we saw it, you know, on TV and, uh, we weren't really able to kind of experience it, you know, and, and the times that the club was local, right. El Paso or, uh, Colorado, I mean, fans made their, their trek there. You know, so so now it's I think that some of that magic is going to be back. The one thing that folks aren't looking forward to is they're not looking forward to calling it the Rio Grande Federal Credit Union at the lab or whatever. <laughs> they just it's the lab. So that's what they're calling it. And, uh, you know, they're looking forward to uh, to the music playing and they're looking forward to the black and yellow. And, and now the uh, the new electric turquoise kits that have that have come out, you know, there has break broken the Internet. So to say, speaking uh, speaking of Rio Grande uh, and uh, you know the the uh, same kits, uh, you know, uh, like I said here, I'm assuming you and Ray can kind of you know share you know share kits, uh, blue and teal and the hexagon uh, on that. Most definitely, most definitely. Thank you, Harry, for interviewing me real quick, and uh, now we're gonna switch it over and bring on my my next guest, and uh, that's gonna be Ray Silva. One second here, Ray Silva of uh, South Texas Border Sports. How you doing, Ray? Hey, good evening to all uh, to all of the audience, and thanks for having me by. Hey, you're definitely welcome. Definitely welcome. Uh, so my my first question for you, Ray, really off the top, is you know there's a lot of change. We've kind of mentioned it a little bit through this through this podcast, but uh, you know the biggest thing obviously with uh, Rio Grande Valley, you know, not having that affiliation uh, to Dynamo anymore. I mean, like what, what sort of life has that brought back to this club in your, in your eyes? Uh, For me, I've always mentioned it from the beginning that the announcement has been made. I will go, go on and say it again. It's a newfound hope. What do I mean by newfound hope? 
there's that newfound hope that there's that missing energy that has been taken away from like the last three seasons. Granted, every, everything from the technical aspect has changed now that the Toros have become independent. And there's been some pretty good marquee signings of players that kind of show that progress that's been made uh, thus far from last December. And so let's let's talk a little bit about the signings, right? So what, what are some of the 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 key arrivals uh, in your eyes, like, like, you know, you've, you know, I've obviously had a little bit of attrition as we talked about, but you know, what are some of the players you're looking forward to that, that have been signed to the roster? Uh, the first one off the top of my, off the top of the head is a uh, Tyler Derrick will be between the pipes. You know, there's a goalkeeper with a lot of MLS experience and he even got sent uh, down to the RGV in the inaugural season, play one match, even a couple of matches, uh, to be honest. And he is that one established uh, veteran who has the MLS experience to kind of like to back up that um, signature. The next player I'll highlight is Rodrigo Lopez, who is uh, was Sacramento's Republic's first signing. And he is a 32-year-old a midfielder who has a ton of USL experience. Um, he's going to be one of those uh, productive midfielders uh, that I'm very interested in seeing how the rest of the team can gel around him. And the third, the third signing, he, for me, I don't think he'll be much of a player, but his impact as a professional to some of the younger players on the squad is. Vicente Sanchez, who played for the for the Colorado Rapids and the Houston Dynamo, uh, he's a 41 year old who came out of retirement. Who during the retirement process, he earned his coach's licenses, and now uh, the way I view that signing is that he'll be uh, more of a coach, uh, molding the younger professionals on the squad to try to. Uh, get them going uh, on a more professional level. And then, you know, and then talk to me a little bit about like, you know, obviously you know, the, uh, the Toros have a new, new coach and, and Wilmer Cabrera. Uh, what, what's his philosophy? What were some of the things he's kind of talked to uh, the media about, you know, through this preseason, you know, and, and I guess trying to bring in this, a new culture into the club. Well, I guess his mantra was unfinished business and he was the inaugural head coach for the inaugural season for the Toros. Okay. And now with this, uh, with this being his second stint, he, uh, he wants the unfinished mantra to really become a reality. And he wants to have a team that is fresh on the attack and just based on the two, media session availabilities, which was A, the introduction, and just this past Tuesday where uh, he finally opened it up to uh, media members. Uh, right now, it's still a work in progress only because of the way uh, the independence announcement was made at the very tail end of 2020 and 
how everything has been structured right now through 2021. So I, I kind of see the Toros just being behind that eight ball a little bit, like uh, two to three weeks at the most before they're, they'll hit the ground off and running the way they need to. What uh, what matches are you uh, kind of looking forward to? I know you, in the chat we kind of you kind of mentioned uh, Paul Lees and, and and Cello, you know, obviously coming to New Mexico. But uh, you know, what what matches are you looking forward to uh, for the Mountain Division? There's there's actually quite a handful of matches that I have circled, and sadly they come in clusters. So the first cluster I'll look at is the the first three at home where you get New Mexico United, San Diego Loyal, and Landon Donovan, and then, of course, the South Texas Derby, part of Copa Texas. And I'll start with New Mexico first. Uh, New Mexico, of course, Paul East becoming the academy director for uh, New Mexico United, and, of course, Isidro Martinez. Both figures are beloved here in the Rio Grande Valley, did so much for the community. Both did a lot of great work for UTRGV and NC a Division One institution that plays under the Western Athletic Conference. Of course, San Diego Loyal, Landon Donovan, that's going to be the big draw. Uh, kind of get to see the, the polar opposite border of what uh, San Diego and Tijuana share, El Paso and, and, and Ciudad Juarez. And then you have Rio Grande with the uh, northern part of Tamaulipas. And of course, the South Texas Derby, which, you know, it, it took a year. It finally took San Antonio five years to figure out Rio Grande Valley to overtake them in the standings. And now it's kind of like that um, responsibility to we have to go and take it from them again. It's like we held it for like over four years now. Now it's our turn in year five and six to go take it right back from them. And I mean, what kind of, uh, and then the, other, the last thing I was thinking about, this always comes up when I think about uh, Rio Grande Valley, but like, I mean, you know, for the longest time, you know, you had that Nature Valley sponsor, you know, and of course those kits and it was that whole granola box kind of thing kind of going on. But, you know, now the you have a kind of a kit upgrade and, and Ron Patel, who was once with New Mexico United, is out there as the president. And, you know, what? how has he kind of changed the sort of uh, club culture, uh, you know, there as, you know, as you see it, you know? Well, for me, I think he's taken a lot of input from the fans. Whereas under the previous administration, a lot of the signings that have been happening now, you couldn't do it. You could not do it. But now with Ron Patel, he's taken a lot of feedback from the fans and started implementing a, a few ideas into play. Where, whereas then, some of those ideas would kind of be tinkered with and be put on the side. With Ron Patel, he's taken that fan-first approach. And in some of my conversations with him, you know, We've got big things coming, but right now we're we're just focusing on the identity of 2.0. And with the 2.0 identity is we're, we're distancing ourselves from the color orange and 
using a blue kit as part of our new identity. And it's kind of like a welcome sign for me because under the first year of RGVFC, their inaugural kits, when they got their first win on the road, was wearing a white jersey, blue bottoms. And right now they're going the polar opposite with this um, new three-year deal with Puma and the lovely hexagons. Oh, yes. Yes. That That is a, uh, a lovely thing. I, I love that we, we could share that. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Thank you, Ray. Uh, and right now yeah. what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually bring in the rest of uh, our guests into the room uh, for – a little bit of a round table discussion. Uh, we like to call this uh, Harry's roulette, right? Because uh, he definitely wanted to make sure that we had this. So, you know, for all well, what's of this, the point of bringing everybody together if you can't chit chat with each other? That's right. That's right. So, uh, so I, I kind of want to open it up now to really any of you that uh, I've asked a lot of questions. So now, I mean, you guys have the floor as far as any questions you might have, whether it's directed to me or directed to anyone in the room. I mean, I'll take it. Uh, uh, does anyone here think their their team's going to win the, the the division? Oh, I do. Yes, actually, yeah. Chris, I, think I, know so. you, I know you think so as well, man. I mean, I do think that New Mexico United is definitely going to going to battle. I think that the big thing here has been progression uh, uh, round by round. So, I mean, I think we're definitely vying to be in the Western Conference Final at this point. Question for the Texas team guys. So I, I think about like, so in Colorado, for example, there are people who care about soccer in Fort Collins and then they cared about the Rapids. And obviously the Rapids were around decades before Colorado Springs switchbacks came in. So I met a lot of new people who became switchbacks fans who were originally Rapids season ticket holders. How much is, albeit with geography playing a significant role there, how much is Austin FC and what they're doing kind of already elevating themselves as the best of the three MLS teams in Texas? How much are they going to consume all of the soccer oxygen in the state this year or impact your individual teams as all, at all? Well, I think San Antonio is the biggest impact outside of the bold and, and I know Mark's already kind of addressed that. Um, so San Antonio is technically in the Austin FC media market. However, they are not on any of the local TV. So when Austin FC played this last week against Colorado Rapids, you had to go to Austin FC website. And even though I respect Austin FC and, you know, I have a lot of friends that are in Las Verdes and, and stuff like that. And, and, and I try to support them. I'm not going to Austin FC's website to, to watch the match. Uh, I just, I won't, I won't do that here, but to me, it's when, when San Antonio's bid was took down, I, you, you, I think they lost probably about a quarter of their season ticket members uh, that were, you know, cause it was that big MLS push, you know, Hey, we're going to MLS. And then when that dried up um, the attendance did suffer um, when Austin FC was initially announced, you know, everybody's like, there's no way in hell I'm going to uh, up to see them. That's softened already, you know, just, you know, you know, to be able to go see top talent, uh, you know, be able to see it. Even some of the you know supporters that said that they won't, um, It'll be interesting. Um, I think everybody wants to see um, 
you know, Open Cup, Austin FC, San Antonio, whether it's, you know, at Q2 or, you know, here. Um, I don't know in El Paso, Phil, if Austin really has has a reach over there. Um, and, you know, I don't know if they have a reach down south as of, as yeah. of yet uh, down with Ray in, in RGV, you know, because they're more Houston-ish, um, although there's probably some sour taste down there with Houston. <laughs> to be honest with you, Harry, I mean – we're not even getting the Houston Dynamo games anymore, uh, at least on our local uh, ABC affiliate, which has like two other digital or not digital platforms, but over the air platforms anymore. Um, I, I've seen like the TV guides and there's like no mention of Houston Dynamo games anymore. Now, as far as Austin is concerned, uh, that that hasn't even popped up either. So uh, right now it's like truly starting to become an independent thing. Now it remains to be seen if they'll show the RGV FC road games, kind of like with, uh, with what happened uh, very similarly with the RGV Vipers when they played in that G league bubble in Orlando, where they were able to get a deal done to show those games here uh, locally. Yeah, to go back to Matt's question, um, Austin FC from a USL perspective in Texas represents broken hearts um, for sure because San Antonio FC wanted to have that MLS spot. And as did the Austin Bold, um, their ownership started the Bold with the intention to get that US uh, that MLS slot. And from my understanding, when the ownership met with MLS for both San Antonio and Austin, they were told, if you build it, we'll, we will come. And it seems to be a broken promise. Um, there's, yeah, I mean, MLS recently definitely been heartbreakers. There's definitely uh, broken hearts across the country from MLS clubs. But, yeah, from that perspective, it's um, the end of a possibility for both the Bobby Epstein ownership and uh, for San Antonio FC. Um from a soccer and support perspective, I think it's going to be a really good thing. Um, Texas is a huge media market, and Dynamo and FC Dallas. I'm actually a childhood FC Dallas fan, but that said, they're MLS 1.0, if not if 1.5, 2.0 teams. Um, MLS teams have really progressed way beyond what those teams offer. Mm -hmm. so they have like a, a real MLS 3.0 or whatever iteration we're on now. It's good for the state, and it's. it's it drives you know more uh, passion across the spectrum of soccer in Texas, but it's just amazing because like ten years ago none of this existed, and uh, as far as like established minor league soccer, and you're starting to see teams across Texas make it happen, make it work, um, and maybe like minor league soccer replaces minor league baseball uh, in the future. Seems very viable at least. And just to round it out, as far as El Paso goes, like geographically, we're kind of on an island. So we, Austin's You're in not New gonna, Mexico, man. Yeah. <laughs> like Austin, Austin's not going to. You guys are basically East Hobbs. Let's be real here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, North, North, North Juarez, I think, would be the preferred, uh, would be the preferred uh, nomenclature. No, I, I think, honestly, though, FC Juarez is probably the bigger, like, draw in terms of you know, taking quote unquote fans, fans from locomotive, um, because obviously having a Lima Liga MX side 
you know, right there. Um, and literally the stadium is walkable from the border. So, um, so yeah, I'd say that's more of a draw, but there is certainly like a little bit of a wave of team of people in El Paso, um, and like locomotive fans, like taking on Austin FC as like the, their MLS side, but it's not going to have a material impact on like locomotives, you know, attendance or anything like that. So my question is, is who finishes fourth? Because like, I think most everybody would agree, New Mexico, San Antonio, El Paso, you know, in whatever order is probably the top three. Who who do you think finishes fourth? Uh, I, to me, that's, that's a great question. I have two teams. One, I think Colorado Springs because they got the new stadium. Uh, they got a great coach coming in. Uh, they're Union Union West and uh, for that here, but I think that new stadium is, is something that. You know, as as um, Matt mentioned here, that they got a direction now, and I do think they're going to get some uh, a little bit of a bump from that. I, I think, also think RGV is going to be better than what most people think. I think them having the shackles took off, having probably a little bit better support down down at HEB Park, it wouldn't shock me if if um, if you know if if it's really between. Um, you know, RGV and Colorado Springs, you know, you know, for that fourth spot. I was going to say, I was going to raise my hand and say, I think the switchbacks end up taking that fourth spot, you know, for everything that you said. Um, I do think that it's going to take a little bit of time for them to gel just because, you know, I think it's them and probably um, Real Monarchs probably have the most turnover in terms of like fewest starting minutes returning and obviously a new manager who's implementing a new style. But once we get past to, if we think about this summer as like post COVID at whatever point that, you know, uh, that the governor of Colorado says that they can pack Widener Field all eight, ten thousand people. I think that'll be a key inflection point. And then whenever they things start to click tactically with players fitting into certain roles and then working in the four three three and then implementing the high press and everything, that'll be another inflection point. Which one of those comes first? And do those come at a time when it's convenient and advantageous for the switchbacks in the part of the season I think are up for questions, but I've both of those two things happen by certainly July 4th. I would pick them to finish fourth in the division. I mean, so I, I, oh, oh, go ahead. I don't know enough about the switchbacks um, to say that uh, I would say that I think the Austin boulders are better than RGV. And I think we'll have a better season than RGV this year. Um, yeah, I know it's a little controversial, but I just, yeah, there goes the hot takes. I feel like RGV's um, just behind. I mean, as Ray said himself, they're a few weeks behind. Uh, Wilmer Cabrera came in pretty late, and they only have like seven, 18, 19 players on the roster right now. I mean, we're like 20, 20, 20, you know, that's, <laughs> not, not really enough. Um, we're, we're, we're only a couple weeks away from the season here, and you really would want to have at least, I mean, 22, 24. Um, and I actually, I spoke to Ron Patel the other day and he said that their signings, uh, announced two signings. So they did announce Eric Pimental, uh, the Mexican defender, and they actually have another signing coming in who's a, a player from South America. So, uh, maybe you guys can figure out who it is from that. I think I know who, who are you referencing to? He has been linked since the month of either February or March only because of these lovely government of ours and the visas yeah absolutely so the fans need to know who is this guy yeah who is this guy drop uh, drop it he is he is a venezuelan forward uh, he played um in the venezuelan uh, pr- uh, first division league for um 
it was in the same time frame as uh, Juan Carlos Asokar, who's our notable forward coming back this year. Uh, albeit not a lot of the uh, significant playing minutes uh, for the Toros, um, but he, he's been heavily linked. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name uh, off the top of my head, but um, good Lord, I'll have to come back with you on, on that name. And if it comes up, I, I'll let you guys know, but he is a forward. Cool. Yo, uh, Matt, I think I'm going to go with you and say Colorado gets fourth. You seem to know what you're talking about, so I'll... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I, I'm going to say, like, you know, I, I might have to give switchbacks a little credit, too, because, um, you know, in the first season with New Mexico United, we, we really joked around about this idea that we were, like, the Colorado State champions. I mean, you know, going into Colorado, playing two matches with the switchbacks, won an OPA Cup and won just at their house. And then, of course, going to the Rapids and then, you know, get, getting the dub there too, like in the shootout or in the PK, in the penalty section. It's like we didn't make that shirt, and we should really go back and make that shirt. But last season, okay, like, you know, obviously playing every match in, in Widener, you know, even the one that we got to host as our own. Uh, you know, New Mexico shouldn't have lost that match. But, of course, it would be the time that Troy Lesane, uh would be, you know, with his wife, you know, birthing a child and and assistant coach uh, Zach Prince would be coaching. And, you know, and that was a hard match to watch, to be honest with you, because, I mean, that was a match we probably shouldn't have lost. I mean, obviously it it led to El Paso ultimately taking control of of the group. Right. Because, uh, you know, you know, some things didn't happen. I mean, ultimately, we he was a little shy with the subs. You know, he kind of waited a little while and. uh and switchbacks kind of snuck one out. So, I mean, I kind of think that the switchbacks will continue that sort of competition. I was a bit shocked by the fact that they, like, let Aiden Daniels go since he was the, the guy that pretty much sunk the goals on New Mexico every single time. Um, but Well, they brought in Haji Barry. I think he's going to be the starting center forward. You know, he has – I think it's something like mm-hmm. 60 goals and, like, a little over not quite 110 – games in usl um a quick uh pub trivia question for you chris what rapids player in that open cup game between colorado rapids and new mexico did kavan freighter force into a red card and stop his time to ultimately get the win for new mexico united Ooh, i don't know but i feel like i just want to say his name is sebastian is that correct or no that is not correct oh (laughs) it was axel schuberg Oh, yeah. So fun little trivia there. And then, uh, Chris, not to not to hijack the pod and turn this into seek and switchbacks, but um, where do we where do we guys think on the whole of the USL championship? Where's the new Widener Field going to rank as far as soccer specific stadiums? Obviously, Louisville still has the best one. They've got basically like fill out the lower bowl and they've got an MLS caliber stadium. But, you know, I think I look at like. Bonnie Field, for example, the redevelopment that Tampa did, you know, I th- you know, is you know, is Widener Field, do they put push up into that like upper, you know, third, fifth of the stadiums in this division? This, I mean, is, White, this is just White. a validation question. You already know the answer. I mean, I feel like White, I, feel <laughs> I think like, it's a, I think it's a legitimate discussion. Is it better than Bonnie Field? And I don't think the I answer there like, is immediately obvious. I feel well, like Widener is equivalent to Toyota Field in San Antonio. Like I feel like it's about that in my mind. I would agree. I haven't yeah, seen. I, 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 I did look at the map, and it looks like it's right in the center of town, which is awesome. Imagine you can bike to it. 
Dude, it's downtown. It's yeah. it's brand new. Toyota Fields ten years ten years old now. So it, it doesn't have I'm assuming you know Widener Field's gonna have all the new new amenities. Um perfect size. Eight thousand is the perfect size. Yeah. It, and like, as long as it doesn't have any sand on the pitch, <laughs> I was going. I was going there, Chris. I was like, as long as they sod, as long as they sod it properly, it's better than San Antonio. <laughs> yeah, but they have snow. Uh, you know, they'll have snow in the early early matches. So, uh. yeah. Well, not this year in anything, but actually, uh, funny. Uh, Austin missed like a snow classico by two days, but that's definitely a. Um, switchbacks fans deserve a proper, just like snow blizzard, hot mess of a game. And of course it'll be against like RGV or El Paso or like guys <laughs> who've never played in snow whatsoever. Um, because that's how snow classic goes work in the state. Well, it was a couple of years ago that we came, San Antonio came up and there was a hailstorm that came down and, and you would have thought it was snow because the whole field was covered. You know, basically it was white. It was just, you know, it was kind of in- incredible, but to me, to answer your question, any new stadium, especially if it's a permanent one, has to be you know in, in the in the top top ten at least. You know, you know, there's there's a few right. classics like the Rowdies, uh, Highmark, Highmark Stadium. You know, with uh, um, you know, with, you know, with with the train and, and the river going in the back. Uh, you've got Pikes Peak. I'm assuming is going to be visible uh, yep. through there. Um, that's going to rival, you know, uh, Landon's, uh, you know, Landon's, uh, you know, Real Monarch Stadium there, you know, with, with some of the, you know, the the sites that they have. So, um, to me, like I said here, you know, especially if you're comparing like Phoenix Rising's pop up stadium, which I think will be nice and, and much nicer than what the old one was, but it doesn't compare to, uh, it won't compare to the new stadium in Colorado Springs, that, you know, just because it wasn't just built for the switchbacks. It was built for all of Colorado Springs and and the Olympic stuff and and stuff like that. So it's going to be top quality. Okay. I've got two questions for you guys. One's a comment and one's a, one's a question for this. I mean, directed at Phil, especially, but um, so we're we're talking stadium talk right now. I mean, I think when New Mexico United finally gets their stadium that you guys are probably going to have to definitely throw it in the top five, because you know, it's going to be, something like you open up like a fridge and walk into the stadium. You know what I mean? Like it's meow. It's going to be meow wolf theme. So, I mean, your wildest Dude, dreams you are going to New Mexico is the best thing since sliced bread. Your, we got your wildest dreams will come true. Whatever you want to do at a stadium <laughs> that you can't normally do at a stadium, that's how you're going to get in. So if it's, if it's like walking past the concessions or I don't know, you know what I mean? Like or there's a giant jacuzzi. There's gonna be probably a giant robot and probably some false fronted things like, yeah. you know, you can go through the bathroom into the field or some crazy crap like that. So bougie Phil, mini golf, right? So Phil, this this question is directed to you. Sure. Yes, um, yeah, this is the magic question because yeah. so through two seasons, I'm pretty sure one of your shit house eleven rosters have probably gotten deep in the playoffs, but. Here we are in the third season. I mean, I'm sure all of us probably have all of all of us on this podcast probably have at least one player yeah. in your in your shit house eleven hall of fame. Um <laughs> early predictions. Who do you think might um uh, get on the roster this year from so, each team? I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, Chris, that Josh Suggs is like an all-time inductee and <laughs> will always be in the shit house eleven. Um he what is- 
What is the shithouse eleven? Oh, he doesn't oh, know. Go, so go the shithouse, the shithouse eleven is a little thing that we started at Seriously Loco, where at the end of after each game, when we're reviewing the game, we nominate a player and. The first season, it was primarily opposition players. We started including locomotive players in this, but who is the most nasty to play against, the most, like, annoying, like, did something during the match. Like, I'll, I'll use uh, our friend David Ochoa uh, as an example. <laughs> of that, that is, that's shithouse behavior. Uh, like, you would you would get into the Hall of Fame based off of that, that uh, performance out in Minnesota a couple nights ago. So... Um, so anyways, like, so we nominate players. I think Josh Suggs is always up there in terms of just needle during the game. Um, just always annoying and always causing like some kind of problem. Um, and pushes that line. We'll, we'll just say, yeah. And he always seems to tow it exactly right. And that's part of the shithousery too. Is a lot line. of times they get away with it. That's like, um, a, a, on a less serious note, uh, we always like to include Jordan Burt's mustache in the shit house eleven. <laughs> um, so that's <laughs> that's that's one. Um, uh, I'm trying to think from so RGV historically has been like a team of shit houses, like a lot of players who really ride that line and are really physical, really really do uh, that well. I think I want to say. From Austin, from Austin, Chris Turpak, who I know is not on the team any longer, but Austin, Austin, Austin legend, uh, Chris Turpak, he was the he was in the shithouse 11 because he was one of those forwards that was just so annoying and would wear down, wear down defenders and find himself in a good position. And then, uh, yeah, so we we had a, a series of players, I think, you know, outside the division, um, Zach Lubin's been been in it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's yeah, there's there's a few mainstays, um, but yeah, I think Josh Suggs is is probably the name that first comes to mind. Um, and He's the rivalry the drives. It home. I, I think yeah. shit house eleven. I think the funniest one was, and I was actually there for the game. Um, we were able to play Frank Lopez, and <laughs> yeah. um, I think it was Sebastian. SAFC wouldn't allow or wouldn't yeah. declare El Paso to play their new signing. So, and of course, San Antonio won. But yeah. I believe that I believe San Antonio's front office made the uh, the shit house uh, yeah. eleven as far as the front office. Yeah, we had uh, we had just signed Sebastian Velasquez, and uh, he he was awaiting international clearance, and they basically tried to come to like a gentleman's agreement, I guess, like before the game to say, Hey, we're going to allow him to play. Um, and San Antonio was like, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and Frank Lopez, who had just joined like just on loan, like that day, he like drove down from LA and scored twice. So um, yeah, anyways, the, some, some funny moments in the shit house 11, but uh, yeah, all, all in good fun. Um and uh, I look forward to the USL shithousery that will reveal itself over the season. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my eye out for shithousery, and I will report <laughs> back. There, there might be a special pod if, he, if he'll let us all jump onto that sometime. Hey, I, I'm always I'm always open to input. And I'm sure, like, it's funny that we do it because our players are, like, 
some big shit house. Dude, you guys like, are physical. Richie Ryan, Yuma, there those are like masters of the dark arts. Um uh, so yeah, the like that is yeah, that's part of the irony of it. And we actually named a couple of our players to it last season because their shithousery hit hit new levels. So yeah. if you need a heal, I will gladly show up and stand for Josh Suggs. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Building it. consensus in the mountain division. Texas so, Texas guys, who do, you, who do you, who's your pick for Copa Tejas? I never back. I'd never back locomotive in the Copa Tejas. We, <laughs> we were terrible in this first season, even though we made it further in the playoffs than anybody. We we were we didn't get a win in the first season of it. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll see. I don't know. I'm gonna go with San Antonio. I just don't know. The, I don't know the team. That's the problem. Um, I I like the talent. <sighs> I just don't know. And, and, and like I said, they get RGV early, which I think helps because um, I think RGV is going to be better later in the year. So you, San Antonio wraps them up pretty early. I'm not that high on the bold um, this year uh, for that here. El Paso is always tough. So uh, to me, I think it depends on who gets the most points between San Antonio and El Paso on those on those four matches, all on Wednesday, by the way, which, thank you, USL schedule. Yeah, that's um, brutal. I don't understand that, but, uh, you know, thank you. Um, to me, I think whoever can get the most points, uh, you know, between those two teams, uh, I think will be the, 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 in the in the driver's seat. The Lucho, the Lucho Derby. Uh, between San Antonio and, and El Paso with Sol and Yak returning. It's going to oh, be yeah. fun. He's a good player. It's going to be fun. I just don't understand how he went from San Antonio after, what, three days after the season was over, he went down to Chile. Yep. And then the ne- he I think he played one, maybe two games, and then next thing you hear, he's in El Paso. And I was like, <laughs> dude, what happened? Yeah. But, yeah. From an outsider's perspective, again, not that I've I've said a lot of let's not bet money on this, but I would I'd pick San Antonio. That's who I'd probably back in that case. But man, so uh, so, so kind of let's let's kind of wrap it up a little bit. But like any final thoughts um, from anyone before uh, I start going around the room and asking for your uh, your your call signs? I have one question here, and it's it's more out west here. Can anybody compete with Rising? I think so. Ooh, I, I'm okay. wondering if they've missed their window because Lubin's hurt. If you really look at their playoff run last year, they got the solo punch against Sacramento and two PKs. <laughs> That's how they made it to, to 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 the title game. So out west, who you know, if you were to pick a team out west, who, who would be your team to uh, you know outside of the Mountain Division? Who's who's the team that's finishing first in the Pacific? You got it, Phil. I mean, regular season, I still think Phoenix are are tough to bet against. Um, but like I said, when I was talking about locomotive, it's like being competitive for the division is one thing, and making it all the way in the playoffs is another. Right, Phoenix obviously came really close last season. I guess as close as you can get without playing in the final um but it's so tough to say like oh phoenix are gonna go all the way i think i think we can be confident that phoenix are probably 
a little bit above the rest of that division, but um, I don't know. Loyal and OC, I think, are going to be really good. So mm-hmm. it's it, it's I don't know. It's as cut and dry as it maybe has been, but I still think Phoenix is is the class of that division I think it's for the time being. People are are thinking as well. If I had to pick a team, I'd say Phoenix, but there, there's nobody out west who I would pick over the field. Like it's a plurality. Like I'd put like <laughs> I put Phoenix like 32 percent, you know, to to win the division as opposed to you know, and I'd have I'd have like San Diego, a plurality of like San Diego, OC, and then maybe Sacramento, all like you know, somewhere between like 25 and 15 percent. Right. Yep, exactly. That's where I'm at with that. Uh, I think Phoenix is probably the best team, but it's really close. Uh, Orange County is super good, I think. Um, I think Sacramento is really good, and I think San Diego is really good. I can almost guarantee you that LA Galaxy 2 will not win that one, though. I don't know. They made the playoffs <laughs> they, last they year. Kind of, kind of became a sleeper team last year. They kind of yeah, I turned mean, it off. They come in defiance. no come on it's vegas man it's vegas la 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 galaxy 2 versus vegas the la the la 2 derby (laughs) right versus charlotte independence in the final this year thank it right now folks and of course charlotte's gonna win it because we don't deserve nice things yes (laughs) i mean really what is going on with with las vegas like they have like maybe like it looks like they may have 10 players signed right now. Well, it's because they're LA2. They're yeah. Los Angeles FC2. They just made oh, El Trafico 2. So there's two second teams for LA Galaxy? Well, no. No, it's LAFC. It's LAFC. LAFC. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you know that they're going to they're gonna don the El Trafico 2 somehow. I mean, it, it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, gonna to be- me, what's odd is they're going to train and live in LA. Then on game day, they're going to go to Vegas. <laughs> Play the game and then ride the bus back. It's like three, three and a half hours. I yeah, like get used to bars. Like the way RGV would do it <laughs> with Dynamo at time. You know, there would be times like during the second and third year where the Toros would go up to Houston, train for a little bit, and then come back down here with whatever players the Dynamo ever decided to loan down. Yeah, it's gonna be that relationship. It's hey, look, like the, the one th- the one thing, Ray, is like you no longer have to hear baby dynamo. You just never have Daddy to hear Dynamo. That. Daddy Dynamo. <laughs> oh, that's right. You never have to hear that anymore. And, and They're probably gonna take like the casino bus and make friends with all the old ladies. They're like, Oh, you're going back there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I finally figured out who's that uh Venezuelan forward that that's been linked to come to the uh RGVFC Toros. It is a forward, Aitor Lopez of Venezuela, but um, nothing has been announced. It's been a, a link that has been dated since March the second. We might have broke that on this podcast, so it's been official yet. That's teamwork reporting. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah. that is good. I didn't do it alone. I would have never guessed. There's too many people in South America for me to guess based on that alone. Yeah, and. And, you know, I had heard something during the open practice that Wilmer uh, allowed for, like, all the fans. Uh, but I really never heard this gentleman's name being tossed around. I did hear the nationality, but never heard the um, 
the name being brought up or tossed around. Cool. Well, now you have. There is. There is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's broken. Well, uh, like, Jens, I really appreciate y'all being on the pod. Um, I'll go around the room from the top of my screen. So, uh, Ray, uh, where can folks uh, that are listening to this podcast, where can they find uh, your work, your podcast? Uh, they can find my podcast at anchor.fm forward slash STBS where we drop episodes uh, every Monday uh, regarding different sports topics in the Rio Grande Valley, uh, which also includes the Toros, Vipers, and whatever sports that do come up in the Rio Grande Valley. Of course, there's my YouTube page where I post my interviews. Uh, there's facebook.com forward slash South Texas Border Sports, Instagram, South Texas Border Sports, and on Twitter at S-O-E-X-A-T-H-L-E-T-I-X. Right on. I'll link it in the description as well. Phil Baki, where can folks find more of your musings on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the El Paso Locomotive podcast uh, that I that I co-host um, along with uh, Mika, Christian, Austin. They shout uh, out to those guys. Yeah, shout out to those guys. Yeah, the the legends. It's at, at Seriously Loco on Twitter and Instagram, and and uh, you can find us on Facebook too. And then. Uh, all all your major podcast platforms whatever you prefer spotify apple all that stuff seriously loco um and uh yeah we just we finished recording our season preview right before this so that'll drop it like tonight or first thing in the morning i guess and uh yeah so you can check us out there right on matt pollard thanks for joining the show second time this season i think you're you're definitely already uh you're already like leading the, the guest ranks. Uh, where can folks find you on the internet? Uh, individually, you can follow me on Twitter at LWS Matt Pollard for all of my written musings. Check out lastwordonsports.com. And then for last word on soccer specifically, it's lastwordonsports.com backslash soccer. Um, and then all of my rapids, Colorado soccer hot takes, you can be found um, at holding the high line. Just Again, search it anywhere in your podcatchers. We get to have a listener or a prospective listener not find us anywhere that we're wanted. You could also apparently search just Colorado Rapids, and I think we're the first thing that now comes up because Feedspot actually rated us from like a frequency and number of downloads ahead of the Rapids podcast, like the podcast that the team puts out. Um, and Switchbacks That's have yet to delve Impressive. into their own internal um, podcasting, but we'll see what that looks like. Harry, where can folks find you and listen more to your musings on the internet? So where you can find me uh, most at uh, Ram and Call, R-A-M-I-N-C-O-L. We do uh, the SA Soccer, which is S-A-T-X Soccer. um, And I also started United Soccer FC, um, which if you're looking just to kind of get a quick uh, view of what happened, you know, in, in the league here. I'm trying to put out, you know, little episodes of five, ten minutes of, you know, hey, this is this week's results. This is the standings. This is what's coming up here because uh, a lot of times people, especially in USL, have no clue what's going on in the East and vice versa. So something along those lines here, just a, a little quick, you know, five, ten minute uh, show on on United Soccer FC. Uh, but most uh, where you can find me is is Ram and Call. Um, and of course, uh, I listen uh, to, I think what everybody says, every podcast, um, out, out available that's, you know, USL, 
um, and even some fringe, uh, you know, MLS uh, for that here. And, um, and, and you know, uh, follow a lot on the, the Striker Texas, which will be Mark. Yeah. Right on. Mark Bay, again, your first That's podcast. True. We broke you in. Uh, where can folks uh, find your writings? Well, how did that. I do? I mean, how did I mean it was? Was it good for you too? Yeah, it definitely was. Nice. Phil, Phil, do you approve? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Phil's yeah. the expert no, here, quality. play by play, and and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah. Ser- yeah. In all seriousness, uh, you know, with seriously local, if they do a play by play of you know one of the local games again this year. It is must, you know. It is something that you do want to tune in because Phil does an awesome job with the play-by-play on that. Well, thanks, Harry. I appreciate yeah. that. So, so, what you got, Mark? Where, where can folks find uh, your writings? On yeah, so I'm, I'm on Twitter at mchbay, mchbay, and then also thestrikertexas.com or AOL search the striker Texas, maybe, and then uh, <laughs> right on there. Um, yeah, I write on there for Austin Bold, Austin FC, other USL stuff, covering RGV. Toro's right now because we lost a writer. Um, they're still alive, thank God. They just stopped writing for us. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, sure, maybe I'll be on Phil's show if, if that compliment's actually true. Yeah. It's, it's true. It's true. Uh, just want to give a shout out to uh, Landon Southwick. He had a, to jet, you know, uh, daddy duties, but uh, definitely appreciate his input. Appreciate everyone else on this pod joining. I'm sure we'll don't forget Ray. With... Don't forget DJ Ray. Oh, I won't. I won't forget Ray. I won't forget. Uh, we got to give a shout out to uh, Ray Samora for the stellar graphics that everyone had a name title when they came on the show. That's awesome. Um, I'm sure we'll get together uh, in the middle of the season to check in and see if. Uh, predictions were right or any adjustments were made um so definitely hold it uh hold it tight uh this has been the mountain division preview on we are seeking strike podcast can i just go on record real quick yes you can out one one writer in specific for sure hello carson merck of the beautiful game network carson merck carson merck you know you had us ranked sixth or seventh in the mountain I really hope there is a plate of crow for you waiting for you at ATV <laughs> Park. And I'll personally hand deliver that to you. <laughs> Shout out to, Cal- to Carson Merck. Uh, uh, we're, we're, we're a Browns fan, so, you know, th- there is that. We're, we're proud. They're allowed to talk that. a little bit. They're allowed to talk a little bit. They beat, beat the snot out of Pittsburgh pretty good. And on that note, we're a proud member of the Beautiful Game Network, and we'll catch y'all next week on the podcast. Good night. You've been listening to We Are Seek and Strike podcast, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find more USL-related podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. To never miss new content, consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Seek and Strike Collective. Lastly, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult or even pro team? 
Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.